This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. been curious about starting a garden or growing your own food, but always assumed you didn't have enough space or time? Well, it turns out there's a solution to that, hydroponic gardening. In today's episode, we take a deep dive into the topic with Jacob Pachenik, the co-founder of Lettuce Grow, a company that makes self-watering, self-fertilizing hydroponic farm stands that make it super simple to grow your own food at home, even if you only have four square feet to do so. Stay tuned to hear me and Jacob discuss the importance of understanding where your food comes from, the benefits of growing food yourself, and exactly how we can utilize hydroponic gardening in our own lives. All right. Hi, Jacob. How are you? Welcome to Good Together. I'm doing great. Happy to be <laughs> We're so- here. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. So listeners, Jacob Pachinik is the founder and CEO of Lettuce Grow. It's an amazing new system for home gardeners that uses hydroponic technology to really make it easy to grow your own food. And one of the reasons uh, Lisa and I were excited to have Jacob on is because we actually got a chance to try out the Lettuce Grow farm stand ourselves. And I myself am not what I would consider to be an expert gardener, even even intermediate. Lisa definitely takes the cake on that one. But the reason why kind of thought it'd be cool for me to talk to Jacob is because I am kind of coming at this from a, a gardener beginner uh, perspective. And for me, when I used to start off kind of growing my own food in you know a traditional sort of raised bed, I always kind of had issues. I don't know, just keeping things up and making them work really well, um, you know, for my for my family as we we're trying to grow own food. So I tried this new uh, farm stand from Lettuce Grow. It's been really awesome. We've made some amazing food with it already. So yeah, happy to chat a little bit more about sort of how Lettuce Grow got started and what its impact is going to be, I think, on home gardening and getting people to grow their own food. So um, to start off, Jacob, I wonder if you could tell Good Together listeners about kind of where your idea for Lettuce Grow started from and sort of what problem you were trying to solve with it? Sure. Yeah. It started probably like six years ago in a moment of panic. I I just learned I was going to be a dad. And oh, I, wow. I was, <laughs> That's amazing. Super, yeah. And the panic wasn't <laughs> that. That was, you know, I was exuberant <laughs> about that. But then it was like, how do we make sure we have a totally healthy baby? 
you know, yeah. what are we doing the best thing? And also, you know, as a, as a dad to be, I didn't really have that much to do other than really like think about the food that we were eating and, and, you know, the products that we were using. And, um, I started looking at food labels and I saw chemicals in almost everything and just chemicals I couldn't pronounce. You know, someone told me once, like, if your grandmother could make it, then it's okay. You know, if it's stuff that would be in her pantry. (laughs) So I kind of looked at it in that way. Um, but it, but we ended up deciding, you know, let, let's just eat food as nature intended it. And let's, you know, shop at farmer's markets on the organic, you know, section of the grocery store. And I just saw that the price point on that, those items was so high. And I thought, wow, this isn't really accessible, right, to most people. And I was very curious as to why this natural food was so much more expensive than the processed alternatives. And that started me on a journey. And I thought, God, maybe, you know, maybe we needed to invest in organic farming practices. Maybe it was um, just organic practices were behind conventional and that led me on a path to I ended up starting a farm with two other with two other guys that they knew a lot more about farming than I did. I knew really nothing. Um, but I was very curious and I, I wanted to uh, learn more and I wanted to make a positive impact you know on the world and, and yeah. it bring down the the price of organic <clears throat> food. And that was uh, a, a huge education. Uh, for me, I learned farming is incredibly difficult. Um, there's lots of challenges, but what I think was the most difficult challenge wasn't growing the food. It was really getting it to market because Interesting. we could make this like beautiful head of lettuce on our farm, organic, and we could do it at about the same cost as growing a conventional head of lettuce. But then we had to take this beautiful, you know, head of lettuce, put it in a clamshell or put it in a bag, put it in a refrigerated truck, send it all over the place, right? Distribution center yep. to the grocery store. And it could be 10 days old, you know, before anyone ever eats it. So it, they get this product that's kind of like wilty, right? Doesn't taste good it might go bad in their fridge like a couple days after purchasing it and 40 percent would go bad on the way so wow it was a huge disservice to the customer a huge disservice to us because the price that we'd get um was like 40 percent less it was absorbing you know all that waste and then the environment you know all the resource that went into this uh growing this product was just thrown out the door. It was just wasted all for nothing. And I I was alarmed. I thought, God, the way we're doing like quote unquote fresh food just doesn't work. Um, That's fascinating. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I just, there's just so many things that stand out that there for me, but I think the waste part is something that we oftentimes don't think as much about when we think about going to the grocery store. Um, I think a lot of us talk about going local when we can and going to farmers markets. And I think that's probably one way that people can maybe cut down on the amount of time it takes to get, you know, the food from the farm to your table. But I also think that 
for a lot of people, that's not necessarily, um, you know, accessible. And when we think about like the supply chains that power the groceries that most of us have access to, it can be really difficult to get, you know, fresh food, um, specifically fresh fruit and vegetables to people in a timely fashion. So I think it's amazing that you kind of started from an assumption of, okay, let's see if we can try and, and farm things better. Let's see if we can do it from an organic perspective. But then when it comes down to it, it was like, you know, almost half of everything was going to waste. I mean, that's, that's insane. Uh, so I, I love that you kind of had this, this, this thought process. So you, so, okay. So you kind of walked us through the beginning. Um, you, you know, obviously started questioning more choices um, with the new addition, which by the way, we, I also have a lot of friends who are pregnant or, um, you know, having kids really soon. And this is, seems to be a big jumping off point for people um, as they think about what we're actually consuming. So you, you know, you did the, you started a farm with some friends, which is, uh, this is amazing. <laughs> I think most people wouldn't necessarily go, go into that, but I love that. So when did you start to kind of think about like the end consumer piece of, of what you've, you've done? Well, you know, I thought, you know, the the system just doesn't work, right? That, um, you know, like fresh food is really hitching a ride on a food system built around packaged, right? And, and uh, you know, packaged and processed foods. And it needs, you know, it needs a different um, delivery system. But how are we going to do that, right? That, that, the local farmers need investment. Um, you know, we need we need to build more efficient delivery systems, and to do that, we need the consumer involvement and consumer participation. So I started to think about, you know, apart from all these like wonderful documentaries that are out there, which are really good, but they they kind of I think for me they they left me feeling a little bit doom and gloom and a little yes. bit powerless. Yes. And so I want to think, okay, how can we, how can we get right consumers involved in this? Because if a consumer, if all the consumers start to say this matters, you know, within five years, 10 years, we'll have a completely different system. Um, and so that's where I just thought the consumer is at the heart of this, you know, it's not all the companies and everything else. So, um, that's where I started to focus on what are the initiatives that we can do, right, to get real participation. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we we talk so much about documentaries on this podcast and really in the Brightly ecosystem in general. And I think, you know, while most documentaries, I think, do a great job at um, bringing new issues to light for consumers, oftentimes, um, yeah, they do kind of leave you feeling hopeless so much so that like, even I have gotten to the point where I'll like sometimes find myself avoiding uh, documentaries because I'm like, uh, I know it's going to be kind of a Debbie Downer situation at the end. Um, and, you know, I feel like sometimes they'll leave you with like a legislative thing that you should you should go and do. But there's oftentimes so few options left for people at the end of end of the day to do things on their own. So we really focus on small steps. So I love to think more about home gardening as it relates to just the food supply chain in general, in addition to sort of how people are ingesting, you know, more quality ingredients um, as part of their diets. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think home gardening uh, is, 
is a tough one because, you know, in our modern like lifestyles, right. We don't have the time. We don't have the space. Yep. Right. Cause 50% of us live in cities and we don't have the knowledge and we don't have like the two friends that you're going to start a farm with that already know all about farming, you know? So, um, that's where, you know, we, I tried a lot to bridge the gap there where, you know, the concept behind let us grow is like use farms as nurseries, you know, use farms to do the hardest things, which is, uh, knowing what to grow and when, right. And knowing how to germinate the seeds and doing the things that frankly cause the most anxiety about growing and then taking like a two week old or two or three week old plant and sending it to the grower for them to finish growing on site. It's almost like, just like the produce distribution model, but there they're cutting a plant and they're shipping a dead plant, you know, that's eight weeks old, many, many, many miles. We're shipping a very small living plant, much smaller miles. And then the grower finishes growing it at home without having to have all the space, the time and the knowledge required. So it actually makes it much more of a possibility for reality. Yeah. I mean, I think even just the way the the system is set up is really interesting. So listeners, you'll definitely want to check out um, the Let Us Grow system and we'll have links to that in the show notes, but it's a, um, you know, a vertical system that can kind of fit um, on balconies, on places that you're, you know, you might be squeezed for space. You can even use it inside with a grow light. Um, but yes, I mean, it's, it's a pretty simple thing to set up and obviously it's relying on, um, you know, really hydroponic gardening principles. So I think in general, when people hear about hydroponics, um, you know, sometimes that can kind of, kind of sound intimidating to people like super scientific and, you know, oh gosh, am I going to have to get a ton of equipment and become this expert? So you know, from what I, my understanding is that the system itself actually isn't super complicated. So I wonder if you can explain sort of what made you, I guess, take the hydroponic uh, lens when you thought about like sort of reinventing, um, you know, home home gardening from a lettuce grower perspective. And then tell us a little bit about like what actually hydroponic gardening is. Sure. Well, you know, the old school gardening is is soil gardening. And as I, you know, mentioned a little bit ago that you know, 50% of us live in cities, right? And we don't, you know, we don't necessarily have a plot of land, right? That we can, that we can exactly. grow in. <laughs> and then those of us who don't live in cities, we might be renting, right? Or we might be, yep. you know, only in a place for a year or two. And we don't know what was there before. We don't know what's in the ground. Is there any, are there any chemicals there? And then there's a lot of investment that goes into, um, creating a uh, like a raised bed uh, type of garden and then are you going to move you can't take that with you so though I think you know if anyone can and wants to do soil-based gardening they definitely should but it's going to require you know a lot of labor and it's it, it it's not accessible for everyone yeah so hydroponic is more um you know just kind of suits the reality of the situation and it sounds a lot more complicated than it is, but it's really just growing, uh, using the water to deliver nutrients okay. rather than growing plants in soil. 
where the where the where the roots are pulling from the soil and the water. So, um, and the system that we have, you know, is very. I would say it's very simple. Um, we we have a uh, a tank of water, and in that water we have the nutrients mixed in. And there's a there's a pump at the bottom of the tank, and the pump goes off once an hour for about fifteen minutes, and it it pushes water to the top of the system, and then water rains down over the roots of all the plants. And as it's as it's going over the roots, it's delivering. Uh, the right amount of nutrients and the right amount of water. And then all the water, and this is this is like the really awesome thing about hydroponics is all that water is then collected again in the tank. So there's no runoff, there's no evaporation, all the water is used. And because of that, um, you know, in conventional growing, it takes like 21 heads, excuse me, 21 gallons uh, to grow a head of lettuce. And using our system or in a lot of other hydroponic systems, you could grow that same head of lettuce with less than one gallon. That's insane. I mean, it, I, for me, it's just like, it's, it's a no brainer when we think about like the future of, of growing produce, whether we're talking about a home or um, more on an industrial scale. I know there's a startup called, there, there's a few out there called Bowery that I've looked into before that is trying to do this from like a more commercial scale production angle. But from my perspective, like when I was setting up the system, you know, I, you've got, of course, got to put a ton of water in it to start, but I've noticed, yeah, like I haven't really had to fill it up in the you know few weeks that I've been using it. And it's pretty easy. I also love the way it, when the water turns on, it's very like relaxing. It kind of sounds like a fountain. <laughs> so if you like that noise, it's it's almost like having one of those, you know, kind of old school garden fountains, except it's much more functional and probably looks better, right? It doesn't have like a garden gnome <laughs> aesthetic. So it's really nice. I love it. Um, and so when we think about um, kind of the benefits, I would say of, you know, growing your own food, um, you know, when we, we just general think about it, like nutrients, um, and, and pesticide angles, I wonder if we can talk a little bit about that too. Like, okay, somebody's decided that they want to commit to, you know, trying hydroponic gardening at home. They're excited about it from a waste perspective. Um, and you know, whether we're talking about water waste or food waste, but can we talk even more a little bit about the health, uh, health aspects of this? Like, why is it important for people to think more about the, um, you know, what goes into their their produce? This episode is brought to you by Real Paper, tree-free toilet paper made from 100% bamboo. Our community has been asking us about paper-free swaps for items around the house, so this alternative to traditional toilet paper is right up our alley. I don't know about you, Laura, but I always run out of toilet paper. Me too. And I love that real paper delivers direct to your home while also using plastic-free packaging. It makes stuff so much easier. Also, while you probably haven't considered the environmental impact of your bathroom habits, unfortunately, over 27,000 trees are flushed down the toilet every day across the world. That's a lot of waste. And by using paper that comes from bamboo, you're supporting a product made out of renewable, eco-friendly resource. It's also super soft, and I couldn't tell a difference between the 100% bamboo paper and what I'm used to. 
Good Together listeners get 25% off your first order by using code BRIGHTLY at realpaper.com. That's R-E-E-L paper.com. Hey, Lisa, did you know that every year 10 billion disposable razors are thrown into trash around the world? I never thought about the amount of waste I was generating every time I shaved my legs. Yes, I remember we've discovered this staggering fact last year, and ever since then, me and you have been on the hunt for a sustainable plastic-free razor. The tricky part for me, though, and I know a lot of our community members feel the same way, is that safety razors can be very intimidating to use. I was literally scared when I first shaved with a safety razor. Same, but we finally found the perfect option, haven't we? Leaf Shave has created the world's first multi-blade pivoting head safety razor that makes your shaving experience almost identical to the one with a plastic razor. Leaf Shave is certified carbon neutral and they package and ship 100% plastic free as well. My favorite part about their Leaf Razor is that it accepts up to three blades so that you can decide how close of a shave you want. Once you're done with the blades, you can send them back to Leaf to recycle responsibly as scrap metal. This makes shaving plastic-free easier, safer, and faster than I've ever experienced. But if, unlike us, you're a total pro and not intimidated by safety razors, Leaf also has a more budget-friendly option, their Twig Razor. Check it out. Good Together listeners get 5% off by using the code BRIGHTLY at leafshave.com slash brightly. That's L-E-A-F-S-H-A-V-E dot com slash brightly. Did you know that 70% of what comes in your shampoo bottle is actually just water? I know. It's hard to believe that over half of what is probably one of your most used hair care products is simply what comes out of your tap. Right? That's why Everest is so great. They're a company that produces hair care for eco-optimists who are looking to cut down on waste without having to use shampoo bars. Their products require less packaging and are smaller and lighter to ship, which, as we know, is key in reducing carbon emissions. That's awesome, and I also love that they're plastic-free. Their shampoos come in aluminum tubes, which, unlike your typical plastic bottles, are infinitely recyclable in most curbside recycling programs. Most importantly, though, their products actually work. I tried them. I know hair care is something a lot of people struggle to find a sustainable swap for. Everyone's hair is different, and sometimes it can be hard to find something that's low waste, that still leathers, and really leaves your hair feeling clean. Exactly. That's not an issue with Everest, though. The color-safe and vegan paste that makes up their shampoo is activated by the water in your shower to make a rich, creamy lather that you're familiar with from your non-eco shampoo days. Are you ready to try out a more sustainable hair care routine? Head to helloeverest.com and use code BRIGHTLY for 10% off. That's H-E-L-L-O-E-V-E-R-I-S-T dot com and use code BRIGHTLY for 10% off. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, when thinking about, let's say, soil-based versus hydroponic, right, a lot of people have asked, like, well, is one, you know, nutritionally better than the other? And the fact is, is that the biggest determinant of the nutritional value of, of uh, like, vegetables is the time between picking it and eating it. So if your produce is coming from a farm, 
they could use the best, the, you know, the best soil, um, you know, being raised the best way. But if it takes three days to get to you, then it's going to lose, you know, conservatively 30% of its nutritional content. And I've definitely seen studies that say, you know, quite a bit more. So what hydroponics does is it allows you to grow food very close to where you're going to consume it, right? You could grow it right in the kitchen or right outside and you'll be picking the food and you'll be eating it five minutes later or 30 minutes Absolutely. later and have, <laughs> have no, you know, no nutritional loss and you can taste it in the flavor. You know, people come and sample off of my farm stands all the time. And the first question is, are these, uh, are these like GMO or you know, <laughs> how did you get, you know, my, my favorite um, plant is wasabi arugula. And it's like, how did you engineer that? It's like, that's hilarious. I, I didn't engineer <laughs> it. It just tastes so good because it's, it was just living, you know, a second ago. And yeah. it's got that, that full, that full profile. So that's really, I think, the you know, a broader issue in, in this whole you know system is that the food that the fresh food that we eat isn't fresh, you know, and we need to bring we need to bring the food that is supposed to be fresh, as you know, close to our homes as possible in terms of distance and in time, so that when we're eating it, we're really getting all the phytonutrients. We're really getting right? Everything that we need to be healthy. Yeah. I mean, just that quote, right? The food we eat is not actually fresh or the fresh food. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just to have that kind of perspective, I think is really, was super interesting. And I totally agree about the taste, like whether it's coming from a lettuce grow stand or something that's, you know, grown super close to your home, you can definitely taste the difference. To me, it's almost like if you ever eat out at a really fa fancy restaurant, that's like known for farm to table, oftentimes, one of the reasons you usually come away from a restaurant like that thinking that it's so great is because it is so fresh, right? Like they usually don't seem to even do too much to the ingredients themselves, right? They're pretty simply prepared, but you're like, wow, my mind is blown at how good this tastes. So um, I totally hear you from that perspective. Um, I want to talk a little bit about accessibility because the price point, at least with lettuce grow, can be a little bit steep, I think, for people who maybe aren't necessarily um, as used to investing in something like this. So I am sure that you, um, you know, both from a cost perspective have done your best as a business to get it down to, um, you know, the current price as much as you can. And, you know, we probably think oftentimes about like cost per meal and things like that, but let's talk a little bit about how something like a lettuce grow or this type of technology can, you know, be used to get more people access to better quality food who might not have access to it right now. Sure. Well, you know, there's, I mean, we talked about the fresh food not being fresh, but there's so many people that don't mm. even have, have access to the non-fresh, <laughs> fresh food. That's right. Yep. And, um, and that's really why I started this company is, is not to just do it for my family and for my kids, but for my, you know, for my kids' peers and to really make a change into how we delivered food. You know, there, there's a large uh, percentage of food that can uh, definitely be grown at home. And I see that it will be, you know, my, my goal is to get 
some type of hydroponic system in every single household in the country, you know, within 10 years. That's um, awesome. And the price point, you know, is, you know, is higher than a lot of people can afford. And, uh, you know, we, I strive to bring that down. One reason it's there is because we didn't really want to compromise in any way in the materials used, right? So um, everything is like California Prop 65 compliant, right? We didn't want to, you know, we pride ourselves in that there's no pesticides and no chemicals or nothing on the plants, but we didn't want to have anything leaching out of the plastic. Yeah, right? absolutely. So everything, you know, th there's nothing that will, you know, come out. We look at like, we use um, ocean bound plastic. So we, you know, we're trying to, you know, where possible, you know, reuse um, other food grade material, you know, to make these and we make everything in the US. Um, and as we get more and more growers, we, and we learn, you know, we learn more, we can continue to innovate and bring, you know, the price point down. Um, but it is an investment. And from what we've seen, though, the investment, you know, fully pays off in about 13 months. So that the more you use the farm stand, the more that you're, you're growing, you're actually saving money, because you're not going to the grocery store, you're not buying produce there, you're not, it's not wasting in your fridge. So after about 13 months, you're saving money. Still, that is, you know, that can be, you know, a big upfront, you know, cost for people. So we do also have a program called Let Us Give. And for every 10 units that we sell, we give one away to a school or an underserved community you know, That's to awesome. make sure that everybody, you know, has the experience and the access to fresh food. That's awesome. I'd love to see like, you know, federal or, you know, even state level, um, you know, initiatives that help people kind of defray costs for systems like these just so that we can enable more access um, to different communities across the United States. I think that'd be fabulous. And I love that you guys also have your giving program. I think that's amazing. The other point I'll mention is, you know, as we talk about sustainability and eco-friendly living in general, this concept of making this investment up front does come up constantly, whether we're talking about purchasing a new, you know, sustainably made, um, you know, handbag that's made out of vegan leather, or, you know, it's, you know, clean beauty related products, like there, this concept comes up a lot. And so, you know, like we would love for all of our eco-friendly options to be, you know, the same or even cheaper than the non-eco-friendly options, but oftentimes it's not the case. So if we start to kind of again, shift our mindset to thinking about, well, it will pay off for itself eventually because it's going to replace, I don't know, five handbags I had previously, or it's going to replace my weekly grocery run um, to get fresh food, fresh fruit and vegetables. I think this is the way we can kind of create change together. And my husband and I actually, we um, invested in an espresso maker a while back. And I remember, you know, we were like, man, this is, this is going to be a lot of money up front, but we realized that we were spending so much money um, you know, and really waste going to our local coffee shop all the time, right? Like we were, you know, using up gas and time and, you know, additional money to to get this cup of coffee every day. So now we make them at home and, you know, we're able to 
you know, eventually it's paid itself off. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's all sorts of ways we can think about this um, when we think about, uh, you know, home living, et cetera. Definitely. Yeah. We just need to shift our mindsets yeah, a little absolutely. bit. Yeah. And cheaper, <laughs> you know, cheaper isn't, isn't usually better. There's a lot of hidden costs, right. To things. And hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one more thing I wanted to cover um, was just kind of about the ease of use of of lettuce grow specifically. But then, you know, we could also talk about it more commonly with 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 gardening. But, you know, are there any common mistakes that you hear people making when they set up these systems? Right. Because I remember when I myself was was setting up my farm stand, um, I thought it to be pretty easy. My husband, um, <laughs> he was like obsessive with it. So the, the farm stand does have to be plugged into a power source because it needs to be able to cycle the water. And my husband was like obsessive about trying to get some kind of solar thing done, which he, he did to some extent. <laughs> but that was probably the most complicated thing that we did, which was like kind of an off-label use. So I'm curious to know, like, do people mess up uh, their their initial grows? Do you ever hear any kind of interesting feedback there? Or, um, you know, how's the feedback been for the yeah. community? Interestingly, I think the biggest uh, mistake is not starting soon enough. You know, people hesitate. They think, I don't have a green thumb. Yep. This is like my Aunt Martha would really love this. But, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, it's not, you know, it's not for me. Or um, we're, you know, we're redoing our backyard. And so maybe in, you know, when that's done or, you know, after our kids go to school. And it's really so simple. Yeah. And it's it takes 15 minutes to set up. Um a seven-year-old could do it. You don't need tools. Um, and it's portable. So you can move mm -hmm. it if you don't like, you know, where you put it. But we find that it takes people a while, right, to, to take the leap. But once they take it, they're, you know, they're pretty much locked in. We have, you know, like a 90-day return policy. So it's about so you could have a whole season of growing and we have fewer than 1% returns. So That's awesome. People people have a great experience with the product and they they only wish they started sooner. So I would say that's that's probably the biggest thing, but um the Achilles heel of any hydroponics system is water. Yep. And power. So if it run if you run out of water or you run out of power and 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 our system only needs about 50 cents of power a month so it it's like running a light a light bulb yep um but if you unplug the system because you want to show it off to someone and it's kind of you know and and the system's easy to take apart so you might take it apart and you want to turn the water off so you unplug it and then you forget to plug it back in <laughs> And you come back and you see your plants 24 hours uh, later and they're all droopy and wilty and it's the most depressing thing you've ever seen. Um, but if you plug it back in within 24 hours, the plants will come will come back. So Yes, I, I, I actually had this happen to me. <laughs> Unfortunately, my husband's off-label solar power system failed us, um, but we we caught it in time and yeah, we came back and he was so dejected. He was like, 
I think I ruined all of the plants. And I was like, are you serious? So it ran outside, plugged it into the normal source. And you're right, like everything came back. Um, you know, I, I was also like, we had had a pretty hot day here too. And, you know, lettuce itself can seem kind of hot. Um, you know, it'll seem wilty if it gets too super hot anyway. So anyway, it, it came right back. So happy to report that you can be like me and potentially seem like you you kill everything, but it, it can be just fine as long as you catch it quickly. Yeah. Wasn't that <laughs> an incredible feeling, though, that you had when you saw the plants droopy? Yes. Like that? And, and that is really what happens, right, when we buy food, right, at the grocery store that we don't eat, right? Someone else grew that, grew that product. And then it died, you know, and, and so I think like when you grow your own food, you just, you know, you just get so much more connected to your own consumption and you just become so much more aware, not only of like what went into the food that you've grown, right. But to, to all the other food and it really makes you think about waste, you know, in a completely Absolutely. different way. Absolutely. And I mean, I've had so many situations where I've gone to the grocery store, purchased fresh, what I thought was fresh produce, get it back and, you know, try and use it up as fast as I possibly can. And it's still not fast enough because to the point we made earlier, like it really wasn't that fresh to begin with. And then, you know, sometimes I'll have a lot of guilt myself, but other times I'll be like mad at the grocery store. I'm like, why are they giving me stuff that's, you know, so close to expiration date, but we now know just in this conversation that there, there's just so many things that go into really going farm to table um, and thinking about that. So, no, this has just been so interesting. So, Jacob, we we typically like to um, ask our guests like uh, one or two sort of similar questions across episodes. So people kind of get these these fun questions, if you will. But I'd love to know, um, really, I guess to close us out, we'll just do one. I'm what really excites you the most about the ethical and sustainable living moment right now? Uh, I feel like you're at, of course, the front seat of what's going on, but what is the most exciting thing you feel like is happening right now? Well, I've got a four-year-old and a five-year-old, and they're both uh, in pre-K right now. And they yeah. come home, for, and they're doing half days, but they come home from school telling me about sustainability. That's and amazing. Yeah, it's one, I mean, I'm so excited that the schools are teaching it, or at least some schools are. And I, I feel like it's hit more of a mainstream movement, right? I think, you know, when I started Let Us Grow, um, people were like, I don't get it. You know, what's wrong? What's wrong with the way it is right now? And those same people, you know, especially like when COVID hit, those same people called me up like, hey, do you have one of those units? Can I get one? Absolutely. Um, so I feel like there's just like a groundswell and, um, and we're moving, you know, we're just moving in the right direction. And Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that, that's to me is super exciting. And I think it also reveals something that it's really in our DNA to care. It's in our DNA to know how to live off the land in a sustainable way. You know, we've farmed our own foods and made our own clothes and uh, done all this for, you know, 
hundreds of thousands of years and that only changed, you know, 100, 200 years ago. And uh, seeing, you know, the kids, seeing my kids or any kids interact with the garden, I see it's, you know, it's in our DNA. So I think that we just need, you know, a little bit more education and we need other tools. Like I think like the farm stand and lettuce grow to help like activate, you know, that DNA. And, but I think it's, I'm seeing it come to life. And that's, um, that's what's really exciting to me. I love that. Yeah, we I I totally agree. We we believe here at Good Together and Brightly that conscious consumerism is really just getting started from a movement perspective. And you know, I do think COVID has given us. You know, the pandemic um, has been so devastating in so many ways. But one positive thing to come out of it, I I personally believe, is we all have been made aware um, so much more of the impact that our daily actions and our daily decisions make on the world. And so. I'm not surprised that people were calling you up saying, hey, I want better ways to access produce during this pandemic, but now they're going to be sort of home gardeners for life, which is awesome. Um, Well, so thanks so much for joining us, Jacob. Um, Our listeners are going to be thrilled to listen to this. And folks, if you want to check out Lettuce Grow, it's um, lettuce, like the plant, (laughs) lettucegrow.com. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll include links to that in the show notes. But Jacob, thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.